like to ask you all to pray for some in my family. My youngest two are at home sick, so please pray for them. Be thinking of them. Okay, let's go ahead and open in a word of prayer. Dear God, we just thank you so much for your love. Thank you for sending your son to Lord. Pray that you guide and direct our thoughts as we look into your word and contemplate the meaning of these names of your son, the Lord Jesus. We ask that you would cause our hearts to meditate and ponder and be awe-inspired. Look to you in these things in the name of your son, Lord Jesus Christ. So as you all know, today we begin a four-week series uh, on the names given to Jesus in Isaiah 9-6. So we're going to look at Isaiah 9-6, and we see in that particular scripture, one of many passages in Isaiah speaking of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we read, there it is, you have so many online Bibles, you look at the page, you're like, where is it? No, that's a school Bible. So uh, going back to the physical Bibles, we read, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of the King James Version. I just want to read that to you because that's the version. That, whatever reason, even though I hardly ever use a King James Bible, everything I've ever memorized always pops into my head in King James. For unto us a child is born. Doesn't that just sound right? For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of And so today, we're going to consider the first of these four titles or names given to him. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. And so today, we're going to consider Wonderful Counselor. The Hebrew word is Pele Yuetz. The four names given to God are Pele Yuetz, Wonderful Counselor, Il Gibor, or El Gibor, that's Mighty God or Strong God, Very Strong God, Aviad, Everlasting Father, and Sar Shalom, the Prince of Peace. Sar Shalom. So today we're going to look at Pele Yuet, Wonderful Counselor. So by way of reminder, names mean something to God, right? In our culture, we just kind of, you know, we name our kid, you know, something that kind of sounds nice usually. Sometimes we realize that, you know, that's it. That is a little awkward. Too late, kid, right? But, we, but names mean something to God. And in fact, I think modern society recognizes this because in modern society, you'll get labeled things based on your political identity or maybe your, perhaps a medical problem. You know, So you get labeled things. Modern society labels you a, or maybe an alcoholic or a diabetic, right? But to God, names mean something. And just by way of illustration, recall that in the, in the Bible, God has changed the names of a number of individuals. So an example I have here, remember Abram, which means high father, God changed his name to Abraham, which means father of a multitude. Remember Jacob, which means supplanter, God changed his name to Israel, which means having power from God. And in the New Testament example, we have Simon, whom Jesus changed his name to Peter, 
which means rock. Simon means God has heard, but Peter means rock. And in fact, if you recall, throughout the Gospels, Jesus occasionally would call Peter Simon again. And it seems to happen at times when Peter was not acting according to the new name being a rock that Jesus had desired Peter to do, to to act upon, right? And so names mean something. And so when we think of uh, today, we're going to talk about the wonderful counselor, the, the name or title given to our Lord Jesus Christ, wonderful counselor. There is some debate because if you have a New American Standard, yes, New American Standard, it says wonderful counselor and then comma. But if you have a King James, it will say wonderful comma counselor. Which is it? That's a good question. Good question. So the um, I don't know that I need to go into this. So some some scholars do see that there are two titles that there is as actually two separate titles. So there's a total of five. Wonderful as a title, and counselor as a title, and mighty God and everlasting Father. But most Christian scholars see this as one title. He is a wonderful counselor. So today we're going to examine both of these words in depth and see what they mean. Uh, when they combine. So we're going to examine them both separately and together. Uh, Incidentally, I was reading some uh, scholars' commentation on on this particular verse. So it would seem that the Masoretes, when they added the cantillation notes, they kind of interpreted it as one uh, phrase, wonderful counselor. But uh, some scholars were arguing that the original uh, back before uh, the Masoretes added vowel points and cantillation notes. The original consonantal text uh, was really just one gigantic run-on name. He is the wonderful counselor, uh, everlasting, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Like just one big giant run-on name. So I just thought that was kind of an interesting take on things. So we're going to look at this wonderful counselor, wonderful counselor. What's it mean that Jesus is wonderful? We're going to start with the first one. What does it mean that he's wonderful? What, what, what does this mean? Well, going back to the Hebrew, the Hebrew word is Pele. What does that mean? It means wonderful. But it doesn't really mean wonderful in the English sense of the word. When we say wonderful today in English, wonderful means like we're going to have a wonderful lunch. This service was wonderful. Your preaching was wonderful. Right? We're gonna, we, we have a, a, a usage of, of English. Oh, that's just wonderful. <laughs> right? The sense of the word in Hebrew, as I understand it, is more like wonder. So the true, a true definition from the Hebrew originals would be like a wonder, as in like a wonder of the world wonder. Like, so an alternative definition would be incomprehensible, right? Wonder beyond wonders. Incomprehensible. Mind-boggling might be an English colloquialism translation, right? You might say mind-boggling. He is, his name shall be called incomprehensible. His name shall be called mind-boggling counselor, like beyond your understanding, right? This is what the word means. This is the sense of the word in, in Hebrew. And so here, let me give you an example from the Old Testament. So in Judges 13, here's an example. Uh, Samson, remember Samson in the Old Testament, so Judges 13 tells the story of Samson's parents, and 
we read that an angel of the Lord appeared to Samson's mother. Now, in the Old Testament, an angel of the Lord is much more often than not what we call a theophany. That means that this is actually a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. Jesus made for himself something that looked like a human body and acted like a human body and appeared to people before he was born. How can he do this? Well, he's God. He can do this. So much more could be said. But the angel of the Lord appears to Samson's mother and says, you're going to have a son and he's going to deliver Israel from the Philistines. And Samson's mom says, oh, that's cool. And she, so she tells the husband, and so the husband, uh, Manoah, is a bit skeptical. And so Manoah says, really? That's, uh, really? That's really interesting. Okay, whatever. And so the angel of the Lord appears to her again, and she runs out of the house and grabs Manoah and says, hey, come, come back. Here's the angel of the Lord. Come on, quick. And so they go back in, and uh, he goes into the house, and in Judges thirteen seventeen, we read, Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, what is your name? So that when the, your words come to pass, we may honor you. And I kind of, you kind of get the sense that Manoah is like, he's kind of like maybe skeptical here, right? This is, who's this guy that's saying that we're going to have a kid and we have to raise him, you know, in the Nazarite way. And, you know, he's going to deliver Israel from the Philistines. What is this craziness, right? And so you kind of get this. So he's like, what's your name? And in verse 18, Judges 13, 18, we read that the angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask my name seeing it is one, it is wonderful, right? That's the same word, Pele, but it's, or it's the same, the same root word of Pele. And you might translate this, why do you ask my name seeing it is beyond your understanding? And that was the first clue that Manoah had that this is the angel of the Lord. The second clue was when he built an offering fire and then the angel of the Lord went up in the fire. Oh, well, that really was the angel of the Lord. Oh, boy. And that's when they got the fear of God in them. And they're like, we're going to die. You know, so anyway, you can go ahead and read the story for yourself there in Judges chapter 13. But why do you ask my name since it's beyond your understanding? This is the name, wonderful. This is the name given to our Lord. And so what does it mean that Jesus is wonderful? I would propose to you that this applies to the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ in a number of ways. But so if you think about the incarnation, if Jesus, if God becomes truly a perfect man, perfect man in the flesh, I think that it's fitting that he died because it's appointed that a man wants to die. It, it, it's fitting that he would experience as a perfect man death like the rest of us. We all are cursed and experience death. Fitting that he that doesn't make sense. That I propose is wonderful. That he became flesh, I propose, is a marvel. That he became flesh, I propose to you that that is beyond make any sense that God takes upon himself flesh. We read in John chapter one, you'll remember these words in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. Apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Verse 4, John 1, 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. This is our Lord. This is a description of our Lord. And you skip down to verse 14, and you read this. 
and the Word became flesh. Wait, what? I, I, I think in this Christmas time, this Christmas season, nothing higher that our minds and our spirits can be set upon than considering the incarnation of God as it's wonderful in the sense that it's incomprehensible, in the sense that it's beyond our understanding. It's truly wonderful. As a counselor, he's wonderful. As a word become flesh, he's truly wonderful. Beyond, this makes absolutely no sense, right? Okay, given that he's a man, that he dies, okay, fine. You know, it's appointed unto man once to die. That's fitting. It's fitting that he would suffer because that is our, our lot as as creatures cursed and, you know, on this earth. It's, it's fitting that he would suffer given that he's a man. But it doesn't make any sense. God becomes, this is, this is a mystery that is stunning. This is something that should fill us with wonder. When we think of with us in worship, this is what causes us fall on our knees and worship the God who loves so much. It doesn't make any sense that he would be happy and comfortable in heaven where, wherever he was, right? God didn't have to do this. He did. That is wondrous, right? I propose to you that is truly, truly wonderful. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Glory. John writes this. John, the son of Zebedee, brother of James. He had a fishing business. Zebedee, James, John, Peter, Andrew, and some other. We read about their hired hands. They had a fishing business. He was a fisherman. He says, we saw his glory. We saw his glory. Let's consider that for a moment. I want to read from Matthew 17, because they did see his glory. In Matthew 17, we read the brief account of this. Matthew 17. We read, six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John. So these were kind of the, the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. You read about these, these guys a lot. Jesus seems to have developed some very deep relationships with these guys. These guys, well, all 12, 11, all 11 of them later went and pretty much, well, all of them except for John were martyred as far as I know. They all died for the testimony. Is God. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun. And his garments became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. That's when Peter has his famous statement, of course. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll make three tabernacles here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Verse 5, while he was still speaking, God the Father interrupted Peter. So Peter just starts blabbering. Let's make some tabernacles, I'll make one for you and one for you. And suddenly, verse 5, while he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down on the ground and were terrified. They beheld his glory. The glory as as of the only begotten of the father. They beheld his glory. Peter starts babbling. God, the father has to interrupt him and say, hey, Listen to him, <laughs> right? Sometimes I say that to my kids. Peter is such an encouragement, right? Isn't it an encouragement that Peter has 
such you know, Peter's all right. That would be that'd be something I would do, right? I would just start babbling. Oh, yeah, Jesus, this is really great, you know, and uh, this is a great location for you to just look like a, the sun and shine like that. And dead people here, yeah, I'd just start babbling too. I would be just like Peter. But oh, interestingly enough, this came shortly after in Matthew sixteen, uh, Jesus gives Peter his new name. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. The gates of Hades will not overpower it. These three, and I guess the rest of the the other uh, eight, uh, transformed the world. These guys, these disciples of Jesus, they went on to die. They convinced so many others. They were convinced themselves that Jesus was truly God. Think about it. You're going to talk to somebody, and you say, there's a guy... And he died, and he had flesh just like me. Look, see, you could squish it and stuff like that. And he died. I guess his heart stopped beating, but he was God. That doesn't make sense. That is wonderful. I propose to you the whole incarnation, the entire concept of it is mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling. This is deeply, deeply mind-boggling. And so during this Christmas season, there's nothing higher that we can set our minds on. These guys were convinced, they each convinced, you know, Peter, James, John, all the rest of these guys convinced countless others to abandon their previous beliefs and way of life and become true followers of Christ. Thousands and thousands followed Christ. And almost every one of them, except for John, I think, died for their faith. So I also want to consider the worship of the, of the Magi. When we read about the Magi, I'm not going to read the whole story, but this the incarnation of Christ is wonderful in the sense that it's a wonder of the world beyond any of the wonders of this world. So I want to I want to read some of this to you. After hearing the king, excuse me, in Matthew chapter 2, if you flip back there or just listen to me, after hearing the king, I'm reading out of my new king, or no, this is a new American standard. They went their way and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place. You know these magi, so... Scholars believe, at least some scholars believe, that these magi were uh, possibly remnants from the Jewish uh, dispersion in the Babylonian and Assyrian empires. That uh, that these magi were perhaps uh, for, you know descendants of Israelites that had been dispersed and had stayed in those foreign lands and still retained the knowledge of the one true God, but they had become astrologers looking in the heavens for signs, and they found one. They went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east, God gave these guys a sign, went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. If any of you guys have seen the movie about the Bethlehem star, I think that's actually a real interesting, real interesting movie. Maybe it happened like that. After coming into the house with the child, with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These guys knew more about the incarnation than the Jews did. They were fully expecting. They had in these gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So we assume now because there was three gifts, that there was three magi. We don't have any idea how many magi these guys were. There might have been one or 10 or 15. Well, we know they're plural, so there's two. But there might have been, 
who knows, a whole parcel of them. I don't know. But we assume maybe there was three. We don't know. But they gave these gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And in my um, just going through the uh, youth group teaching on this, when we started out our life of Christ, um, we actually set up some to show to the kids, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so I have uh, a little tiny gold nugget. It's the best I could afford off of eBay whenever I bought these back at the beginning of my Life of Christ class. And uh, so this is a little gold nugget. It's pretty tiny, but it was like, I forget. It was a, you know, a few bucks or whatever for a tiny gold nugget. Gold, because he was a king. Gold signifies, you can you can come and see this maybe later if you want. It's a little tiny gold nugget. It, it just looks like that. But gold signifies that he was a king, right? These magi knew that in his incarnation that he was a king, royalty, gold, because he was a king. And they also gave him frankincense. And I have a little thingy of, with two little nuggets or whatever of frankincense. Frankincense is a, uh, a sap. It's a resin that comes out of a plant, and you slit the bark, and this kind of sap comes out. And when it drops down and hardens, you can collect it. And then you can, uh, frankincense was one of the most important ingredients of the uh, incense that the Jews offered. So it was one of the most important ingredients. And it's white, and it just looks like that. It's, I don't know if you guys can see that, but anyway, there you go. Gold and frankincense. So frankincense, because he was a priest, frankincense was the main ingredient of the incense offered by the priests. And Jesus himself is our high priest, our great high priest. Gold, because he was a king. Frankincense, because he was a priest. And the last of their gifts, also very valuable, is myrrh. And I have some here. It's a little, uh, so frankincense is white if it's really high quality frankincense, or it's kind of yellowish, I guess, if it's, if it's not. Myrrh is kind of a reddish amber color. And you can see it right here. And myrrh was typically used for burial. Now, what they would do is, um, with the frankincense, you could pulverize it and you could mix it with other uh, various other compounds and burn that, and it would make a fragrant, sweet smell. The myrrh was also very fragrant, and they would process that similarly. You could dissolve it in oil uh, and mix it with any other compounds and make a kind of a paste out of it, or you could leave it as just the uh, fresh uh, it's a sap, just like frankincense is. It's a sap that comes out of the tree, so you cut it, and the, the, the resin just comes out and hardens and dries. So you could use that for embalming. Gold, because he was a king. Frankincense, because he was a priest. And myrrh, going to die. And these magi, at the very beginning, recognized And the Jews, at the very end, still didn't recognize it. Even Caiaphas, with his prophecy, didn't understand the incarnation of Christ is marvelous, wondrous, and incomprehensible. You could say mind-boggling. So this should fill us at Christmas time. This is a this is a perfect time to think about the wonder of the incarnation. Everything about Christ is wonderful in the sense of mind-blowing, right? Not wonderful like eh, it's really wonderful, right? Not not our English sense, but the original sense. Okay. Let's talk about something else that's wonderful. Isaiah 53, 6. So it's fitting that he would die because he's a, he was the perfect man. But what's not fitting is that he would take our sin upon himself. That also is mind-boggling. Isaiah 
writes, All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. That's also something incomprehensible beyond our understanding. Why would that happen? Why would God? Doesn't make sense. Second Corinthians 5.21, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is incomprehensible. This is wonderful. Pele. All right, we've got to move on. Counselor, Pele Yoetz. So the Hebrew word for counselor, Yoetz, means counselor or advisor or strategist or planner. And it implies, it has with it the implication of wisdom and leadership in the one who is giving this counsel or advice or strategy or plans, right? Does that make sense? And so um, the New English translation translators, uh, while admitting that Wonderful Counselor could be two separate titles, they say that if it's one, they give these four options. They They say it could mean Wonderful Advisor or Extraordinary Strategist or a Wonder of a Counselor or one who plans a miraculous thing. These are kind of... I'm I'm trying to help you get kind of the sense of the word as it was, you know, originally written down in Hebrew. 700 years before our Lord Jesus Christ was born. So as an example of counselor, there's an example I have here from Micah chapter 4 verse 9 when Micah writes, Now why do you cry out loudly? Is there no king among you or has your counselor perished? Counselor in this case synonymous with your king. So what does it mean that Jesus is a wonderful counselor? Well, I think it means a lot. I think you could think on this. You could ponder on this for several months, maybe even more. Jesus and his counsel are wise to our ways. So I want to point out in John chapter 2, towards the end there, we read that when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name, observing his signs which he was doing. But Jesus on his part was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. And because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. Jesus is aware of the state of our heart. Jesus is aware as a counselor for us. He knows our heart. He knows that our hearts are deceitful, desperately wicked, right? He's perfectly aware. He is As a wonderful counselor, he is qualified in ways that no man is qualified to counsel. Think about in Colossians uh, chapter 2, we read that in whom are, Jesus, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He has all wisdom, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If you want someone to advise you, this is the person you want. You want someone who who has all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Okay, yes, I'll I'll take him as my advisor. Okay, great. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, right? In Psalm 139, we read, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from... Oh, that's the one I want counseling me. Yes, okay, right? And we can take, as as a counselor, we can take such assurance from such confidence in in this, right? He knows us. He knows He knows every failure of us. He knows that I am truly, desperately broken, wicked, and 
more distractible than a two-year-old, right? He knows this. He knows this about us. He knows this. He can help you as a counselor. There's no one who can help you like Jesus. There's no one who can help you like Jesus can. Additionally, in Hebrews chapter 4, in verse 15, we read that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time. He can totally relate to anything we're going through. He's been tempted in every way. He knows, I would kind of suggest he probably knows more about temptations than any of us. He knows truly about, he knows about sin. He knows our condition, our problem. He can totally relate. He is not aloof and high off looking on us with disdain for our sinful condition. No, he has gone through it all. As a counselor, he has experienced it all. That's the one I want counseling me. That's, that's the one I want. I want him. I pick, I pick, I'll pick him. He's the very definition of a perfect counselor, right? Tempted in every respect as we are. Think about this. His goodness, his trustworthiness, his love and mercy and grace and patience are totally inexhaustible as a counselor. That's the one I want. I want him. I'll take that one. The very definition. You can trust him. You can trust him. And you can trust his counsel. Let's briefly look at some of his counsel. Very briefly. I wanted to look at some of his counsel, so I just flipped to Matthew chapter 5. Because it just came to mind. Because I spent a little time on it when I was teaching the youth. And Jesus says this. This is some of his Counsel here. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Wait, what? The poor in spirit? Don't you mean cursed are the poor in spirit? Don't you mean, oh, you poor in spirit? Stinks to be you, right? Is, wait a minute. Blessed are the poor in spirit. His counsel is mind boggling or wonderful or incomprehensible, right? His counsel is truly, truly different. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What about. What about the high in spirit, the great in spirit? No, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. Wait, those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle. The gentle? How about the rulers of the earth with big swords and stuff? Right? That's what we see in, in Marvel movies. No, blessed are the gentle. They shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Boy, this is a 2021 kind of thing. You know, I look out and I say like, oh, there's no more anywhere. Read the front page of anything and there's no righteousness anywhere, right? You hunger and thirst for righteousness? I do. I really hunger. I really thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. This is crazy counsel, not. Jesus is promising a future unlike any other. He, his counsel is beyond this world. It's looking forward to a kingdom ruled by him. A kingdom where you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Oh, great. You'll be satisfied. Really? In this world, you won't be satisfied. I promise you that. I don't care how you vote. You're not going to be satisfied by anyone with a political party in North America or South America or Europe or anywhere. 
You are not going to be satisfied by any one of those guys. You hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be satisfied. Right? This is his counsel. His counsel is looking forward to something far beyond this, you know, vote Democrat, vote Republican, who's in the, you know, elected office and stuff. Man, you know, right? His counsel is amazing. Read it sometime. So much more could be said. We are close to out of time. I'll give you another example because I copied and pasted and I don't know where it is on the page. Oh, here it is. <laughs> you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus' counsel emphasizes the heart. His counsel emphasizes the spirit, right? It's not so much that your body needs to avoid bodily sin, that your heart needs to avoid heartly sin. Anyway, Jesus' counsel is spiritual. It's, it goes to the heart. So his counsel is truly much more could be said. So wonderful counselor. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sum up. We are out of time. This Christmas time is a great time to think about the awesomeness that is our Lord Jesus Christ. God with us. An amazing thing. Wonderful counselor doesn't begin to take a hold of the actual Hebrew meaning, which means incomprehensible advisor, or incomprehensible counselor, or strategist, or mind-boggling, right? So, so this is a wonderful time. Think about these things. Put these in your hearts and meditate on these things. Teach these things to your children. He's the best counselor, one you can completely trust. There'll be no one else who could ever help you like he can. Because we read in 2 Timothy 2, 13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. We are faithless. He remains faithful. You could ponder that for a few minutes. This is God's final plan for humanity. In Hebrews 1, 1 and following, we read, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his son. And the sense of that phrase there is that he's given us revelation in the past, but in these last days, he's given us revelation in a person. He's given us revelation in his son, someone who has come to us and has shared with us God's glory. So I'll close by reading some words from Hebrews Chapter 2, actually, in verse 1, we must pay closer attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding and every transgression and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we neglect a great salvation? This salvation was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him, and was affirmed by God through signs, wonders, various miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. And this very message is the one that we have got and we pass on. This message has gone out literally almost to the ends of the earth. We are close to the return of our Lord and we are looking forward to his kingdom. We can take huge him as mind-boggling counselor, as a awesome counselor. Let us give thanks to him and we will close with a word of prayer. Great God and Heavenly Father, thank you so Sending your son, Lord Jesus. Lord, we look to you. Thank you for your planning and your will in making this 
come to pass. We thank you for the miracle of the incarnation. We thank you that uh, truly your plans are way, way beyond ours. Lord, we ask that you would uh, help our hearts and minds to really be stayed on these things during this holiday season, to focus on these things, to meditate on these things, and we pray that this would bless our lives, act our relationships. We pray this in the name of your Son, Lord.